Hey y'all, and welcome back to a new episode of Jezebel Goes to Seminary. I'm your host, Meredith, and I'm stoked you're here. Today's episode is on grief and my grief specifically and the way I've processed that and the way I'm healing. And hopefully you see this as a mirror and maybe a window to go through. So without further ado, let's get to it. 160,000. On average, the amount of breaths I've taken since my dad died on this day, eight years ago. The grief I've felt since his passing didn't necessarily begin when he passed, uh, but much, much earlier on in our relationship. So in order to make sense of grief, and this is my grief specifically. Ooh, did y'all hear that? My stomach just growled. (laughs) LOL. Uh, To make sense of this grief, you know, and this is specifically, this is how it is, y'all. This is how it is. This is how it goes. Uh, Is to just actually like go back in time and uh, pinpoint when it all started, not when it necessarily became more tangible as an effect uh, of his death. So my dad was a lieutenant colonel in the United States Army, and he did two tours in Vietnam. And I don't think you need me to tell you the amount of trauma that my dad returned home with after his final tour. It's the kind of PTSD that made it impossible to be a child. Uh, No playing in the house. No loud music. I remember this one time, actually, when I was maybe about 16. My dad took my brother and I out to lunch. And where we were eating, a fire truck went by. And I remember just seeing this look come over my dad's face. It was something I had never really seen before, uh, but it was, it was kind of terrifying. It was definitely a scarier um, moment of just realizing uh, how deep that wound was for him. But, you know, trauma lives in our bones. And despite my father's lack of parenting, his trauma was alive and well, definitely up until his deathbed. But how we got there (laughs) requires me to share some of those wounds. And, you know, I'm not trying to make this some HBO limited series, so I'm going to definitely keep it tight this episode uh, and talk through how I processed uh, that grief and how I'm still healing. I'm still healing through my dad's death. So to start, I'll just take it back to when I was 12, little adolescent mare, and uh, that year my whole world changed. In a matter of one summer break, I lost my Uncle David, who was more like a father figure to me than my dad had ever been. And my great aunt, who just like thought the world of me, she would call me her gopher because I would just go and get things for her, which when you're a kid, any title is like a trophy, you know? Uh, So while, of course, other children were enjoying the last few glimpses of summer, I was walking around on eggshells. And at the time, I didn't know, right? Like, I didn't know that this was what was going down in Funky Town. But my dad had stopped taking his meds. And that's not a good look when you have a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. 
And I remember watching and I remember wondering that summer, like when he would leave the chair in our living room or like when he would shower again, Uh, every day that passed since my uncle David had died, it just seemed really impossible for my dad to do anything. And so one day my mom actually found him in our backyard, like in his underwear, waving a gun around. And yeah, it's not a good look. <laughs> Let me just, you know, I, a defense mechanism of mine is definitely making light of situations. You will hear that throughout this episode. And that's just, that is how I also, you know, process the world and process my world too. So I, I hope you don't think I'm actually making light of the situation, but it is my trauma. And by golly gee whiz, sometimes I got to make a joke about it because it literally sometimes doesn't feel like This was my life, but it absolutely 100% certified was. So, you know, after finding my dad outside, you know, oh, we got to hospitalize him. You know, that's, that's what happened. So he went into a hospital and after being treated there, entered into a long-term care facility and he stayed there till I was about 15 or 16. And I hope that we can just kind of take a little detour here. I've put my little middle school teacher hat on uh, because from 12, so that's the age that my dad was when he was hospitalized until he died and I was 20 when he passed. Um, Those are really critical periods of cognitive and social development in an individual, okay? And this is only a slice, right, of my much larger narrative pie. But I say this to give you some context of what's typically going on during those ages. And so this is a period where you are really developing your, what I like to call, Eunice. Your identities are forming. Your moral formation is going down. And that's a lot to endure between the ages of 12 and 20 when one part of your your narrative story involves a parent who, uh, you know, is mentally ill. And so when I started seminary and and seminary has been, I mean, poof, you know, I'm screaming. Seminary has been great for a lot of aspects in my life. And one way I've definitely benefited from this semester alone is learning actually how to identify and really connect some of these dots. Uh, I think it's fair to say um, that we can collectively and maybe even consciously know our past is today's dream, right? And the future's longing, which is to quote the poet from my last episode that guides you through a practice of Lectio Divina, but seminary has really illuminated it. Like, really illuminated it, you know, tenfold for me in a lot of ways. And it's forced me, it's forced me to look my grief in the mirror and have words for why I am the way I am. And in so many ways, that's awesome, right? Uh, And then in so many ways, it's like, girl, get your shit together, (laughs) right? Like you got to shift your weight, you got to reevaluate and let's go. It's a lot, but you know, here's the thing about grief and the grief I experienced with my dad's death, you know, like it in our bones, like I've said, and it lives with me. So because despite my dad's lack of parental care, like I just, I desperately wanted that, right? Like I can't think of anything else though, like in this moment in time and in all the things that I experienced 
other than this beautiful, like mystic moment of divine truth. And that may sound weird. And you may be like, oh, what, what the F, but just bear with me. Okay. <laughs> bear with me. Uh, because the year leading up to my dad's death, okay. Was, was incredibly tough. Um, my dad was slipping into this period of mania and, that would ultimately lead to his um, last depressive episode and ultimately his death. Uh, and, you know, his death certificate would end up reading like multiple organ failure. By the time my brother actually like arrived in from Colorado, they'd already were talking about removing the feeding tube. Um, and it was crazy because it was like literally domino effect in real time. Um, it's like they talked about the feeding tube and then it was like they took the feeding tube out that night and the very next morning, like he was dead and he died alone. And I used to do this stand up bit on open mics um, where I tell the story of missing my dad's funeral because I was too busy having sex that I missed my train to Arlington. And the thing is, like, it wasn't a joke. <laughs> like, that was my life. Like, that was a, that was a real thing that actually happened. Um, it, because, you know, grief and mourning for me happened in a series of very missed connections. Um, especially in the early years after he passed, I 100% acted out. And I can say that about myself, you know, another pattern I've been able to catch through healing. Um, I am quick to react to crisis by engaging in risky behavior. Here I am, baby. Here I am. I told y'all, you know, here I am. Like, I, it just, this is, this is me. This is, this is it, right? Like, I'd fight tears. I'd shame myself for the last conversation we ever had, which happened that August, like, right before he died, a couple months right before he died. I remember, like, I was driving on 75 South, and we got into this huge argument all over his lack of care to help me with textbooks for the fall. Mind you, I always tell people that my brain is the most expensive thing I have, like, out on loan. <laughs> but as much as that doesn't matter now, like, right, like, money, like, this conversation that I'm having with my dad about money and, and you know, wanting him to help me, like, as much as that doesn't matter now, it is something that I fixated on in processing my grief. Like, I fixated on that last conversation for a very long time. You know, because when we lose someone that was never anyone for us to begin with, there's this space of, like, tormenting yourself over the what could have been. And the problem lied in the fact that I really believed at the end of the day that I had time, that I had time with my dad, um, that I would have time to build a relationship with him, that, yes, it was shitty right now. And it had been shitty before this, but there was still hope. There was still hope. I still had hope at the end of the day. But I learned, and I learned the hard way, that life is incredibly uncertain. In my whole life, all I ever wanted was for my dad to see me, right? Um, to recognize me, to say, hey, I love you. And that's a phrase. Uh, some here and others like me 
uh, long for, right? Like we long to hear our parents tell us that. Um, and I, I ended up placing so much of my worth and so much of my value into the eyes of this person, this person who was by a label, by a title, my dad. And, you know, whoo, to be there, right, to be in those fields and to be here now in these fields. Um, first, I had a professor tell me, and this was the first year, actually, that my dad died. She said, you know, it doesn't necessarily get easier, but it does get better. And I don't think I really understood what she meant when she said that. You know, I was like 21, and it was my first semester back at uh, undergrad. And I was like, what? I just, like, want to sleep all the time, and um, I just don't want to do anything. But, okay, yeah, it gets... It gets better, sure. Uh, but I think I'm actually starting to see, like, I think I've actually started to see um, that, yeah, no, it, does, it doesn't It does get easier. In fact, in some ways, it's become more glaringly obvious that it gets hard sometimes, that, it, that, the, that not getting easier part is this. Like, for me, weddings are torture in so many ways, right? Like, really, it's the vibe that, that I get during the dad-daughter dance, like if there is one, right? And let me say, the last five weddings I've been to, there has, okay? There's been a, a dad-daughter dance. And guess where you'll find me? Guess where you'll find me? Yep, you right, bathroom stall, probably pounding a beer because I'm classy and honest. Um, but really, like, it's gotten better. Like, I don't want you to think I'm doing that every time. But it, but it's gotten better, but I will be in the bathroom. So, like, if you are getting married soon and you happen to invite me, just know if you do a dad-daughter dance, I'm going to be in a bathroom stall somewhere. Uh, but to be honest, and this kind of is a little fun aside, I was actually sober, <laughs> like, intentionally sober, uh, at 20, right? That's the crazy part when my dad died. So that's another story for another day, I suppose. But in regards to that grief and how I've healed and how it's really gotten better is, you know, back to seminary, learning how to be a healer and in turn being heard by my peers and professors and shit, y'all fucking healing waters in some of those Zoom spaces. Like there are legitimate healing energies in those zoom rooms, you know, and I have been lifted up without even being touched. And, um, anyone out there in the virtual sphere right now, you know, my prayer for you is, is to know that you are being lifted up right now by so many and with so many, um, so many of us will be here, like in this space of feeling nothing, um, of reactive decisions of absolute shock and despair, want to rip your heart out and leave it on the floor kind of feels like an empty chair at a table once sat for seven and now only seats six, like all around there is emptiness and there's loss and grief is universal this year. But this, this is how it has gotten better for me at least, you know, because if I'm being honest, and I was a reformed liar, so let me be honest here, um, when you carry this shame and this grief that for me, like, it was so heavily associated with that guilt and that shame, like, this grief that I was carrying and have been carrying so associated with the guilt and the shame, 
And I mean, you got to name it. But for the first time, I not only see how the past has has placed me here in the perfect space, it's it's kind of like outer space, you know, it's like so perfect. I feel like so cosmic in my, in my, my whole being It's nuts. And it's another, that's another episode too. But, um, it kind of reminds me like of what Mordecai says to Esther and y'all Esther is like my girl. She's my Shiro for sure. Um, but Mordecai says like, you know, who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such as this. And she plays a really integral role in, in a freedom and a liberation movement essentially. And, you know, I feel that, like, I feel that who knows whether or not, like you've come to the kingdom for this, like for this moment right now, who knows if it's right now, or who knows if it's someone I meet five years from now and I get to talk to about whatever is that they're experiencing. You know, I lost my dad in 2012 and my very best friend lost her dad in 2015. And I can't help but think like, I'm so grateful that I had already gone through some of these emotions and some of these feelings so that I could be a solid pillar of strength for her as she began her process of grieving. Um, but I will say also, like, you know, don't make a mountain out of a molehill, but definitely go sit on that mountain by yourself for a bit, <laughs> you know, but also call your mom or your dad or your grandma or your aunt or your uncle or your cousin or your best friend or your classmate or your coworker or your long lost pal. Like, I don't care. Like, just go and tell someone that you love them. Loving someone super hard doesn't necessarily make it easier to grieve either, you know. But life is too short and uncertain to not love and to not love in a big way. You know, I, I believe in, in this energy that we all possess, right? And we are just sort of in this vibrational force field in a lot of ways. And I believe that the energy of our physical bodies is made of the same energy as it was in the beginning. You know, time is spaceless, but how we spend our time is finite and relies on our ability to see the power of a pause, to see the power of reflection, and to see the power that we have to act and advocate for ourselves. So, you know, hopefully, I don't know, hopefully you got something out of this, you know, and if you didn't, that's cool. I, I hope that whatever you heard, you take what you need and leave the rest and just know that you aren't alone in this journey. And it doesn't get easier, but it does get better. It does get better. And I hope you always remember and never forget how holy and fully loved you are. May you go in peace.